Well, today, believe it or not, we are halfway through our Family Values Sermon Series. And uh, how are we doing out there? Is everyone doing all right? You guys still reading along with us? Um, if you're new to Shepherd's Gate, uh, you can grab one of these. They're at the Connection Centers. We've been going through the Gospel of Mark and just seeing how the Word of God would speak to our hearts and lives. So you can read the Scripture beforehand or you can read it after each and every Sunday. And what you've probably noticed is as we've gone through this that there are certain sections in Mark that we're not able to cover. And so our hope and prayer is that as you've been reading these passages, even the ones that we're not able to cover on Sunday morning, that the Holy Spirit is just leading and guiding and speaking to your heart and, of course, uh, drawing you closer to himself. Because the reality for all of us in this room is we're either walking toward Christ or we're walking away from Christ. Either we're moving toward him or we're, working, or we're moving away from him. There really is no standing still when it comes to being a follower of Jesus. And if you feel like you're standing still, you're probably in decline. Just so you know, your probably means you're taking steps back and so you need to do some things to be proactive and just having God do what he really truly wants to do in your heart and your life and that's love you as his child, to bring you close to him, to speak his word into your heart and your life because that's actually what's going to change your life. That's actually what's going to have the biggest impact, not just here and now, but for eternity. And so maybe you're looking at this and you know, you're kind of shrugging your shoulders, maybe you're hanging your head a little bit low because you're like, wow, it's been five services already and I haven't done any of them. Guess what? We serve a God of grace and mercy and second chances. And I would encourage you, start today, all right? Start today and start with Mark, or, uh, March 10th and start with Mark uh, the 10th chapter and just see what God would do in your life. Just push yourself this week and so also, I wanted to kind of go through and just kind of look at the journey that we've been on the last five weeks, and I tried to capture, you know, just some of the highlights of kind of the practical things, what we call the application each week of what we've asked you to do. And week one, if you remember, we really just looked at miracles and how we believe that Christ still performs miracles today, that God is still on the move in the hearts and lives of people. And so that was really what the challenge was. Just once a week, if you're married, do it with your spouse. If you have kids in the home, do it with your family. Once a week, sit down and read some section of the Gospel of Mark together. Uh, the second week, we looked at setting and keeping boundaries, right? And we talked about turning off the distractions in our lives and not getting so overwhelmed with all the things that we have going on that we're not focusing on what matters most. Remember I told you, for me, that's technology, and so when I go on vacation, I have to turn those things off so that my family time is devoted to them. Uh, February 24th, uh, we, had, we were privileged to have Chris Bodley here, and he gave us some really practical points uh, and really, truly to talk about living out our faith story, not just telling our family our faith story, but living it out, being a living example of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I thought this one was kind of cool, right? Laugh at yourself. Didn't you like that? Don't take life so seriously. Actually be able to laugh at yourself. Engage tension and pray in faith. And then last week, as Ed Dorner was here from Messiah Midland, and man, well, is there a lot of good stuff in that sermon, amen? And by the way, if you've missed any of these, they're all available. It's crazy. It's like on demand. We like to have Netflix for the church. <laughs> and you can go online, and we have it set up now where one button you can watch the sermon, the second button you can watch the entire service each and every week. So if you miss, go back and catch up. Uh, but he talked about honoring marriage, and then he threw this challenge out to couples to pray four times a week with your spouse, and the divorce rate goes from 51% down to what? Zero. So how are we doing on that, couples? About the same response as 830. 
Again, hit the reset button. You might remember Ed said, suck it up, just do it. Once you do it one week, it's going to become easier and easier and easier. And this was the other thing that I thought was interesting in the statistic that he had behind it when it comes to passing on faith to your kids, that it's important for dads to sing in church. Did you get that point last week? Did that not rock you? Dads, how do we do this morning? Guess what? You got one more song this morning, our closing song, right? And if you're one of those dads that goes, let's go, we can beat everybody else to the parking lot. (laughs) Stop it, right? Sing it out, even if you got to mouth it. I mean, think of that. There's a Who even knows how this stuff comes about? There's a statistic for dads singing in church and how that passes on the faith to their kids. I never knew that. It's amazing. And then on Ash Wednesday with Christian, who just did an outstanding job, um, who apparently now is our lead introvert on campus, we're going to talk about him in a moment, though. We're going to, that you dedicate time to pause and to process and to rest. And now he has his own Wednesday night restful Bible study. I hope you all come out for that uh, and just be part of that. And so today, again, we're just going to take that next step. Because here's the reality for you and for me. We can come here week in and week out. We can live stream, which some of you are live streaming right now in your homes, on Facebook, or on our website. And we can read the passages in Mark. We can look at the practical challenges, the application that we leave every week, but then if we don't do anything about it, what does it matter? What does it matter? And so maybe James could speak into our hearts this morning. I want you to hear, this is James. This is what he would say as we've been going through this series. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Do it. Push yourself, do it. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Anybody do that in here? Right? No, we all are obsessed with how we look. We check ourselves out multiple times a day, right? But whoever looks intently, think about this, into the perfect law, word used on purpose, God's law, God's law is what convicts us and guides us and brings us to repentance. That's what gives us freedom and we continue in it. We use these as building blocks each and every week, not forgetting what we have heard. So we're going to keep reviewing. We're going to keep going back. We're going to keep sending out these email reminders to you so that we continue to do it because if we do, we will be what? Anybody want to be blessed? Right? Anybody want to just have the blessings of God? Anybody want to be better off today than they were yesterday? And let me just give you a little insight on when we pick these sermon series and why we pick them the seasons that we do. A lot of people are confused by the month of March in Michigan. Did you know that? March, in my opinion, is one of the worst months of the year, right? People think that March is like springtime, right? So let's get out the rakes and the short sleeve shirts and the shorts and do land. No, March is a terrible month. It's a deceiving month. March is still winter in Michigan. There's nothing going on in March. Did you know that? right? It's just a ploy. It's the perfect month to dig into this stuff. It's this perfect month to set aside time on your own spiritual development, the spiritual development of your family and your spouse and however God would lead you. Again, I cannot encourage you enough to do this. Because I can tell you this, if you don't, Here's the alternative. This is the alternative for you and me. These are what are called the unfamily values. And uh, Paul actually wrote them to Timothy. And uh, I want you to see if you think that this is true in our time and in, in, in day. And it's so interesting that he starts by telling Timothy, mark this down, like mark this, take note of this. There will be terrible times in the last day. See if you think this is true. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, 
ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. These are not the family values that we want to instill in our lives, do we? This is the culture that we fight in. This is the culture that we live in. And you might remember Chris Bodley talked about this, right? And, and, and this count, uh, that we live counterculture. Last week, as, Dead, as Ed spoke, and he reminded us of John 10.10, 10, that the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy, that he's always after us. And we have to be on guard. We need to play offense, not defense, in our faith life. And so here, I just want you to think about your family values. And I hope that all of you, no matter what stage or season of life you're in, that you'll actually participate in this family board experience. That you'll write out your family board, that you'll stick it on the wall in your house, and that you'll look at it every day. And so I encourage you, grab the sermon outline. I actually gave you seven blanks this morning. If you want to do this while I'm preaching, you're more than welcome to do that. And I thought it would be fun because Chris Bodley uh, actually gave us the five things that he raised his five boys uh, his last two uh, boys, the set of twins, are getting ready to go off to college, right? He and his wife are becoming empty nesters. And he raised his boys on these five family values. Love God, family first, work hard, be honest, be kind. He's some great examples. You can steal his. He won't even care, right? It's incredible. So my wife and I, we've been sitting around in our house, and I would encourage you this as well to prepare so you're not writing them when you get here for the family board experience. But this is what Lisa and I have been working on in our homes, that we're going to love God because he first loved us. That we are going to value everyone always. You know what this is? It's just another way to say the first and second commandment, the commandments that Jesus said were the most important, love God, love others. That we will serve generously. And then we were even talking, maybe we need to put the word give in there, that we will give and serve generously that we, we will, that we will work hard, because Chris Bobby had that one, so we're going to steal his. We will work hard as a family. And then we're not sure yet. I, I like the number seven. You can have five. You can have eight. You can have 12. You can have however many you want for your family. And then this last one is we will enjoy God's creation, that we're going to go out and we're going to have fun. Now, here's the part about Christian I don't understand. And hopefully he has the TV down in there and he's eating his bagel and he's not going to hear this. Actually, he'll hear this because some of you will tell him. But think about this. Our resident introvert, this guy, when he goes on vacation, I want you to think about this, he goes to major cities or to Disney World. How does that work? Right? I go to Disney World, I get anxiety, right? There are way too many people and strollers and babies and noises and things and flashy lights. I would rather just go out and put me in a camper next to the woods in a bonfire and I'm the happiest guy on the planet, right? But you have the freedom to be creative with your family values. You have the freedom to create what that looks like for you in your context. And so today, again, we're going to look at Mark chapter 10. We're actually in Mark chapter 10 for three weeks. This is kind of cool. We did Mark 10 last week. We're doing it this week. We're doing it again next week. And we're going to build another building block onto this whole sermon series. So grab your Bibles that are in the chairs in front of you from the front row. They're underneath the seat right there. If you don't have a Bible, please, on behalf of our church, Take this home with you today. It's the greatest gift that we can give you. And it's Mark chapter 10, page 846, starting in verse 17. Some of you may know this story. If you grew up in church, you may have heard this in Sunday school. Maybe you've heard it in sermons. And I just believe that God, once again, is going to use his word to speak to our hearts and our minds again today. This is what it says, starting in verse 17. It's about the rich young ruler or the rich young man. 
And it says, as he was setting out on his journey, this is Jesus, he's going toward Jerusalem, he's going to die on the cross for our sins. It says, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? When Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. We're going to pause there for a moment. It's kind of an inter, uh, inter, interesting interaction. Here you have a guy, and we find out from the other gospel accounts that he was an affluent guy, that he had money. He's a young guy. He was responsible, right? And most likely he was a leader in the temple. And so he had his whole life ahead of him, right? He has everything in order, and he's trying to just be a good steward of what God has given him. He's being a good Jewish person. He has all the boxes, and he has them all checked except for the last box, which is eternal life. And so he just wants God to tell him, he, wants, he doesn't want God, he wants Jesus to tell him, okay, what is the box that I need to check so I can get this off my list so that way I have the complete and full life possible. And it's really interesting because as you read this, you find out that it says he was setting out on his journey and this guy runs up and he kneels before him, which is actually very odd behavior if you're someone of influence, if you're someone of wealth during this time. We actually learn about this in the story of the prodigal son when the prodigal father actually ran to his son and he hugged him and he embraced him. See, Middle Eastern men of of influence don't run. They walk or people come to them. And here you have this guy humble enough, and they put these details in there for us, humble enough that he's willing to run to Jesus and even kneeling before him. So he has this very humble uh, posture. And then he's actually very, uh, very humble even in his words. Good teacher. Which is, which is an indication for us that he doesn't understand that this is the Messiah that he's looking at. He doesn't understand that Jesus is actually from God. He's going to be the Savior of the world. At this point, he just thinks that Jesus is another prophet that's come to this earth, and maybe he's heard about his teachings, maybe he's heard about his miracles. And so here he is, and he's saying, Good teacher, what must I do to check this box so that I can inherit eternal life? And Jesus then flips it on him and asks a question, Why do you call me good? Why does he do that? Because he understands where this man is at mentally and emotionally and spiritually at this point. That he's in this legalistic realm where everything that he has, everything he's done has been by his own strength or power. Up to this point, he hasn't really needed God. Everything in his life, he has produced by his own hands and by his own understanding. Think about it. He's a young guy. He was in a position that usually young guys weren't put into in the temple And he actually had money. He actually had influence. He actually followed all of Dave Ramsey's principles to a T, right? This is a good moral guy. And then look at what it says. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. This is Jesus saying these words to him. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. The exact opposite, right, of what we just read in Timothy. And he said to him, teacher, All these things I have kept from my youth. I mean, this is a good person. This is a really, really good person. This is a person that's played by the rules. This is a person that's done everything they're supposed to do. And yet, what does Jesus do? He says, why are you calling me good? You don't understand how this works. You don't understand that actually you aren't good that you were actually born into sin. You were born into a fallen, sinful world because of what was committed in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. And to this day, sin continues to plague you. And your sin that you don't understand that you right now are suffering with is a first commandment issue. You're still trying to control your life. 
You're still trying to control your destiny. You're still trying to create this world for yourself. You're even still trying to control your own eternal life. And you want to participate in it. And yet that's not how it works in the life of a Christian. I want you to see this, that no one is actually good. Can you go to the next one? That before you can talk about the gospel, before you can talk about salvation, before you can talk about eternal life, you and I have to understand that we actually are not good. That we're sinners. That we're in need of God's mercy and and his grace each and every day of our lives. And here in Mark, in the 10th chapter, as we find out that Jesus is actually on his way to Jerusalem, and Mark is a linear writer, so he writes, all the beginning stuff is all out in the wilderness, and then he writes and puts him right in Jerusalem, right up to the crucifixion, to the resurrection. That's how Mark writes. And he's on this journey, and he runs into this young guy, and this is the conversation that he has with him. In fact, I like how Galatians put it. Therefore, the law has become our tutor. Understanding that we are not good is a tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. And maybe you've met people like this in your life that have a really hard time receiving Christ. And maybe they are people of influence. Maybe, they're, maybe they have education and so they rely on their education. Or something has happened in their lives, a tragedy, and so they go into the realm of, well, there really couldn't be a God because why would God allow these things to happen? And it's all a result of sin. It's all a result of living in a fallen, broken world. And what's so interesting is the interaction between Jesus and this young man. And then I want you to look and see what happens next into our account. What does it say happens? As we go back to the, 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 to the scripture, it says, and Jesus looked at him and loved him. He loved him. It's one of my favorite parts about this passage of Scripture. Most theologians will tell you that, that Mark's gospel is actually Peter's gospel. Peter dictates to Mark what to write, so Peter is there. He's an eyewitness, right? He's one of Jesus' disciples. What did that look like that they captured those two words? Was it the way that Jesus locked eyes with them? What, could they just sense the emotion of Jesus? Was it his body language? What was it that they knew that Jesus looked at him and loved him. And I think it's a good reminder for you and for me that no matter what we face, no matter the sins that we entangle our lives, and no matter the people that are around us that seem like they'll never ever come to faith, that God is a God of love and that he loves people. He came to save lost people. And before he gets into this challenge for this young man, he first shows him that he loves him. Just like he loves me and you, just like he loves everyone on this planet And it says, he loved him and he said to him, you lack one thing. Which can you imagine being the type A personality that probably this guy was with the checklist that he was and just wanted one more box to get eternal life? This had to be really encouraging, right? One thing, yes, awesome, I knew it. All my ducks are in a row, I got one more thing to do and this will be it, I'll be the perfect person. And then Jesus says these words, go sell all you have and give it to the poor. Why in the world did he say that? Wait, let me read it again. Go sell all you have and give it to the poor. As I was reading this this week, I was thinking, man, the 10% that God asked from us isn't too bad anymore, is it, right? I mean, think about it. Whoo, whoa, thank God. I get to keep 90%. God, you just want 10%. I mean, good land. You want everything from this guy. And he says, you will have treasure in heaven and come 
follow me. Come and follow me. He invites him into relationship with him. He invites him to be a disciple. He invites him to come and to sit at his feet and to learn from the Savior of the world. What an incredible interaction Jesus is having with this guy. Why was this such a struggle for him? Because we learn it says, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Isn't that crazy? How come when the woman at the well has an interaction with Jesus, she gets a whole different side of Jesus and grace? How come when the woman that was brought with caught in adultery and they throw her at Jesus' feet and says, Moses' law commanded that we're allowed to stone this woman, what does Jesus do? He gets down on the ground, he starts writing on the ground to kind of diffuse the situation and he looks at everyone and says, you without sin cast the first stone. Why is it time and time again, all these other people seem to get all these extra measures of grace. It comes to the rich young ruler and he's told to give everything away. Everything. You notice he didn't tell him to give his money to the church. Don't go back and sell all your stuff and give it to the temple. He says, go and sell all your possessions and give them to the poor. Why? Because Jesus knew the hardening of his heart. He knew the first commandment issue that he was putting everything else before God and that was the only way to break through his heart and his life. And it made me pause and think, man, how many times has God come to us How many times has God tried to get through to us? How many times has God asked us to let go of something we know we should let go of, yet we won't do it? We just won't do it. And yet for this guy, eternity hung in the balance. His eternal life hung in the balance. He's disheartened by the saying. You notice he doesn't argue with Jesus. Notice he doesn't rebuke Jesus. Notice he doesn't get into a debate with Jesus. He's disheartened and he goes away sorrowful because he knows there's something still missing in his life. And it was all because he had great possessions. That he had put his trust and his hope in what he could build here and now on earth instead of what he could do with the possessions that God had blessed him with to bless others for what is to come, eternal life, and for the future. He was focused on the earth, the temporal, instead of the eternal in heaven and the future. Man, how does that speak to us today? And I've heard this passage so many times and so often, it's, you know, it's focused on money and it makes sense because as you read the next part of this verse, as this guy goes away and he has this interaction with disciples, it makes sense, right? It says, Jesus looked around which is kind of interesting. He looks around and he says to disciples, how difficult it'll be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. Now, the reason they're amazed is because during this time, uh, the Jewish community believed that if you had wealth, that that meant that God's favor was on you and that he was blessing you. And so they're really amazed. They're confused by this. And then he says to them again, children, how difficult is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Rich person, wealth, right? He's specifically narrowing in on this. And he takes one of the largest animals on our planet and he takes one of the smallest objects on our planet and he says, look at how impossible this is. Look at how impossible it is for those that take comfort in these things and that they think that this is what they build their lives on to really truly understand what it is that God has called us to do and what he is leading and guiding us to do. And it says they were exceedingly astonished, right? They are just, they're just baffled. They don't understand. And they say to them, then who can be saved? Hey, you might remember some of the disciples that Jesus called, they were fishermen, right? They, that means they were business leaders. That means they had their own business. 
Uh, if you read the Bible or you, you listen to a lot of theologians, they'll tell you that Peter was most likely somebody of wealth. You can go to Israel. You can actually go to what they think is Peter's house. They built a church on top of it, and there's a glass floor so you can look down because Peter would have had a big house to, in order to house all of the disciples. And so they're probably like, you know, looking at this themselves going, wait a second here, what does this mean? Can anybody be saved? And Jesus continues with these words. He says, with man it is impossible, but not God. God is the one that can break the human heart. God is the one who knows what each and every person struggles with. And he is the only one who can turn the human heart toward himself. For all things are possible with God, including putting a camel through the eye of a needle, including somebody that has wealth, and God knows how to break that heart and that mindset. But what is it for us? What is it for me or for you? What is it for those in our midst that are having such a hard time humbling themselves and allowing Christ to come into their lives and realize the utter dependence that we have on God? What is it for us? And here's kind of the second part of this whole story this morning that just hit me in a whole different way this week. Is this, what what would have happened if he would have done it? What if we would have sold his possessions and given them to the poor? And Jesus, again, said, come and follow me. Would he have been the 13th disciple? Would he have been part of the 72 that Jesus sent out to preach and to heal the sick and to raise the dead and to cast out demons? Would God have given him a special assignment to go and do some really cool things? Would we have found out about him later in the Bible? We don't know. And how many times have we been in that situation as well? We know the Holy Spirit is prompting us. We know that the God is leading and guiding us. And sometimes the task before us seems impossible, right? And we go, God, this, this, this can't be you. This just must be indigestion because this is impossible. But yet the only reason it's impossible is because God wants it to be impossible so that you are completely relying on him to, to accomplish the task that he has given you. And how many times have we backed away? How many times have we not done what he's called us to do because of fear or because we don't want to let go of these safety nets that we love to create, especially as Americans, right? And as you know, many of you know, I had the opportunity to be on Honduras just a few weeks ago. And mission trips, I'm just going to be honest with you, they can be very emotional when you come eye to eye with poverty, Now, I've had the opportunity to be on several mission trips. I've been all over the world, and I feel very humbled and blessed. In this trip, it wasn't necessarily seeing the poverty that rocked my world. It was sitting with a couple named Bill and Ellen Gass and being able to sit at their kitchen table every single night and talk to them and to hear over and over and over and over and over again the amazing ways that God has worked in and through their lives despite the obstacles they have faced, despite the hardships they have faced. And it's so interesting because they're some of the most humble people that you'll ever meet on the planet. People that don't want any credit for anything in this life. They don't want credit for anything. For them, they get it. They're fallen sinful people and they're just doing what God has called them to do and being obedient with their resources and their finances to do what God has called them to do because most of what they do is funded by them. And so it was interesting as Ellen took us around and she was showing us these different schools and how this journey began 21 years ago. And we went to one of the first schools that they started And I want you to see a picture of this first school. And I want you to look at the words on the side of this building. Anybody speak Spanish in here? Anybody know what escuela means? Good guess. School. And then what's the next word? It's a nice nice English word there. And then the next word? And. And and in Spanish is what? How do you say and in Spanish? E. 
So it's really Bill E, right? So you'd say Escuela Billy, which means Billy School. And this is what's really interesting. This is one of their first schools. And the community was so humbled and blessed that they came that they wanted to name the school after them. And Bill and Ellen said, we don't want you to name the school after us. It's not about us. It's about Christ shining through us. And so you should just call the school by what the community's called because that's what people will know, that this is the school for the community. And so they refused to tell them their name. And so this community said that wasn't good enough for them. They wanted to honor Bill and Ellen. So they went and they found some paperwork and they found paperwork that said Bill and Ellen Gass. So they figured that Bill's last name was Ann and Ellen's last name was Gass. So now there's a school in Honduras called Bill Land. Isn't that incredible? I said, for all eternity, there's a school called Billy, Billy School. This is nuts. She took us over to this other school, and she shakes her head when, when we point these things out because this is not them. They don't want the attention for this. But this other school had heard about what had happened with the first school and kind of the name thing that took place. And so this other school, ESC is just short for Escuela, they decided to call their school what? Bill Gas, number two. <laughs> and I said, is this really number two? She's like, honestly, we don't know if this is three, four, or five, but whatever. Like... God bless them. And so some of the schools, you know, they've actually convinced to not call them their names. Most of them aren't, and they put little plaques on the side. And they're so humble because they're like, we don't even want our names on these plaques. It's not what this is about. This is about doing stuff that God has called us to do. And then wouldn't you know, as I said last week, that God led them to build school number 60. You're going to see that on the left, which you need to pray for that one because that's the one that has the nails that I drove in, Okay. <laughs> And then the one on the right is number 61 that they just put up, and they're finishing number 62 as we speak. And I hope he gets to 65. He really wants to get to 65. And you go, how in the world, God? And you can imagine as we sat around their table, the conversation that would naturally come up in this time would be this, right? It would be this conversation. Man, you imagine if you guys would have never stepped out in faith? Can you imagine if you would have never have done this and, and just followed the promptings of the Holy Spirit? How many kids wouldn't have schools and, and the homes that you've built, the bridge that you built, all these incredible things that you've done? Man, you could have done so much. You guys built a house in Honduras amongst all of this other stuff. You could have built a house anywhere in Phoenix or Arizona or Texas or wherever and you decided to build and live with these people three months out of the year and continue to build these schools. It's absolutely incredible the heart that you have for others. And this was what this is the part this is the part that rocked me because Ellen looked at us and she said, you know, a few years ago, you know, we hear that a lot. People say that a lot and we just don't feel like that, you know, that that really is fitting of us. In fact, a few years ago a friend reminded of us of of this truth and it's true for us today. That how do we know that we're the first people that God picked? How do we know we're not the second or the third or the fifth or the seventh? How do we know that God didn't call other people to do this? We were just the crazy enough ones to say yes and get on a plane and come down here and do this. And I thought, what perspective to have on life? And man, it rocked me. And as I was reading this text this week, it rocked me again. Man, can we just be people that, are, that refuse to miss out on what it is that God wants for us? Can we get over our fears can we just push ourselves? Can we take this sermon series seriously? Can we take the homework home? Guys, can we pray with our spouses four times? Your divorce rate possibility can go from 51% to 0%. You have the stats now to prove that this could help you. Can we just do it? Can we just read the Bible to our families? Can we do everything we can 
to guard and to protect and to lead and to guide and to be the people that God has called us to be. And that's what this is all about. And I believe we can. And I love hearing the stories of how so many of you have interacted in different ways with your family. And I believe God is just beginning to do. We got another whole second half of this family value series to continue to allow the Holy Spirit, Spirit to speak to our hearts and our minds. And I know that's what he is going to do. So let's continue to do that together as a church. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we're so humbled and grateful God, that we get to live in the country that we live in, that we get to be gathered in, in this place where there's heat and there's lights and there's music and instruments and, God, fresh coffee and, and refreshments and, and everything in between. God, people that love each other and that support each other and encourage each other. God, and even as we look at this account that by, by all means is really difficult to, to really grasp and understand why you would have this interaction with this young man other than we trust you and we know that you gave him exactly what he needed. And so God, would you continue to give us exactly what we needed? And as your Holy Spirit convicts our hearts, as your Holy Spirit calls us to step out in faith, and God, to do the impossible, and maybe sometimes the impossible is praying with somebody else. Maybe the impossible is opening our Bibles and reading a section of Scripture. God, give us the courage, give us the strength, give us the motivation to move toward you and to move our families toward you that we would be strengthened by you. And God, we do thank you that even though sometimes we screw it up and we don't get it right, maybe we haven't done anything these last five weeks, that today we get to hit the reset button. We get to start over, that you forgive us, that you cleanse us from all unrighteousness, that you pick us back up and you put us back on that path. So God, help us. Help us in these good works, God, that we would be your people. We just love you and thank you for everything that you give us through Jesus Christ, our risen Savior and Lord, and all God's people said.